What are the biggest impediments to more rapid diversification of golf? I've been around golf a long time and this grow the game phrase, we've been hearing it for seemingly decades. Mm -hmm. Why is it so slow? (laughs) (laughs) This is like a loaded question because there's so many things, right? Like if we Mm -hmm. go back to history systemically with PGA of America's Caucasian only clause that was in effect till 1960, that's not even that long ago, right? So Mm -hmm. if you look at that, you really didn't see that many black, brown, Hispanic people in the game. You kind of fast forward, Growing up, people didn't have that representation. I'm a big believer in if you can see it, you can be it, right? If I can see somebody that looks like me, if I have that representation that I can get into the sport or I can see a career in it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, Please subscribe to the show to learn about all of our upcoming episodes, listen to some of the previous ones, and to enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, but not really your host today because we have for the third time returning a guest host, and that is Dr. Greta Anderson, who's also been a previous guest. So Greta and I were good friends back and forth talking the last couple of months, and I'm saying, hey, Greta, do you know any awesome golf entrepreneurs, influencers, people in the space that are shaking it up and making things happen. And she goes, oh yeah, I've got someone in mind. I've got lots of people, but I have someone in mind, especially. I'm not going to introduce that yet. I'm going to leave that to her. But before we get going on that, hey, Greta, I want to say, how's it going? And welcome back to the Mod Golf Podcast. Hey, Colin. I am so glad to be here. You know, I love doing this. And so I kind of started bugging you. Frankly, that was what it was <laughs> like. Hey, let me let me back in because I love being in this chair. It's such a privilege. And you're exactly right. We've got a rock star. We do. We do. We're going to hold off just a second there before I move off the stage and leave it to you and our guest today. But hey, I wanted to talk to you about something because you got something exciting because I don't know how you find the time, all the entrepreneurial balls that you're juggling between all the teaching that you do in Atlanta, but you're actually created an app called Project 72. So tell us about that. What's going on with Project 72? Yes, we have found the time to create a program called Project 72 Golf. If you know me, you know that I am all about helping everyone learn golf through high quality education and information. I don't believe that anyone should go without that. I just feel like it's almost like an essential in life because I'm so passionate about that. But really what Project 72 is all about, it is providing a roadmap for new and earlier stage golfers to really develop their skills through technical insights and teaching tips, but most importantly, a roadmap between the technical and everything else you need to know to feel like a confident, competent golfer who feels comfortable playing on any course in the world with players of any level. And that sounds like a big ask, but we all know it's not as big as it might sound if we know the right thing. So it's not about learning, it's about learning the right things. And that's what Project 72 Golf is all about. Love it, love it. And myself as being stuck as a 16 handicapper and I don't seem to be getting any better and where should I focus my limited practice time? that I am going to be one of your, uh, I don't want to say one of your guinea pigs, but I'm certainly going to be one of your students. That part of the journey is I am going to sign up with Project 72 and I am going to uh, see if I can transform my game. Well, I know I can, knowing you. So, hey, I'm I'm going to be doing that. And the other great thing we're going to be doing here, because in a, a few weeks' time, we're going to be launching the Mod Golf Marketplace, where these awesome brands, these people I've had on the show of products and experiences and services that I love, that I 
use that I support and you are one of them, we're going to get them on the marketplace there with, I believe for our mod golfers, our audience, 15, 15% off on that. So I think we've just arranged that Project 72 is going Correct. to be on the mod golf marketplace, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Excited to have to be there. Awesome. So in the show notes, I will include some links to that, all the information, but that's enough about that for now. I want to turn it over to you, Greta, and also to introduce our guest. So you take it away and have fun today. So today, as Colin mentioned, we were thinking about how could we really get things off of the bang, have an exciting guest to add value, but just have a great conversation. And really, truly, I know she's probably sitting there going like, is she making this stuff up? But I'm really not. The first name that came to mind was our guest today. Her name is Laura Diaz, and she serves as the Senior Director of Community and Inclusion for the Ladies Professional Golf Association, of which I'm a proud member. So, Laura, thank you for being here. Hi, Greta. Thanks so much for for having me and for the the very nice intro. Very humbled. (laughs) You are awesome. So tell me, so I know that, as you said, you've got this great new title and you've been with, just give us your background. Let me slow down here because I get so excited. Let me slow down here. Let me mind giving us your background and your golf story, as I like to call it. And then we'll kind of move into all that you're doing right now. Sure. Yeah. So I'm originally from from Puerto Rico. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. That was the the origin of my golf story. And as as you may know, going through tough times this week with the hurricane, always thinking about the folks down there trying to overcome something. Absolutely. So yeah, originally from Puerto Rico, grew up in a small town on the northwest tip of the island, which was actually a former Air Force base. So typically when uh, bases were built, there was an airport and there was a golf course. So yes. my I grew up in, in my hometown that had an airport and a golf course, which is pretty cool. And it's now, now run by the municipality of Awadia. So it's a public golf course. My dad played and my brother and I would go with him when we were little, just drive the golf cart. And and by then you, you remember then the golf carts that had the three wheels, yes. <laughs> so it, the one in the front and two in the back. <laughs> we used to love to, to go around and ride. And then eventually we both got into the game. We got a little bit more serious, started taking lessons, just started seeing that there could be a lot of opportunities within the game ended up playing you know junior golf in Puerto Rico representing the national team my brother did as well and then eventually played college golf at East Tennessee State so I was there for four and a half years really really awesome time and learning about moving to a new place because it was definitely a, a culture shock for me going from Puerto Rico to <laughs> Johnson City Tennessee <laughs> as you can imagine but yes. really really great team forming that that sisterhood then after that, I, I kind of knew that I didn't want to pursue competitive golf, but I still love the game, represented Puerto Rico in a number of international competitions. So really kept those ties with the national team and the association there. And then eventually started working for the Puerto Rico Golf Association because I always liked that behind the scenes operations mm-hmm. of putting together tournaments. They gave me that opportunity and, and that's how it all started in terms of the career. I decided to go to grad school, mostly because my my parents were like, are you not going to get a further education? But I did it a little bit non-traditional where I worked for three years at the association. And then I went to grad school at University of Georgia for sport management. Ended up getting an internship at PGA Tour. Worked for First Tee for seven years. And I worked also a year and a half with the PGA Tour for PGA Tour Latin America, which I call my bucket list job. Because that was traveling to 14 different countries in a year. And I had a blast. I really, really loved working with that group and eventually transitioned to the LPGA on the foundation side because I've always been engaged in the youth space and wanting to give more kids the opportunity to play golf. 
And now really shifting that focus of less on the ground work, but more of finding those opportunities and how can we partner more with companies and organizations that could really help us drive that. But that's my golf story. (laughs) Well, it's an extensive one. And thank you for sharing (laughs) that with us. So you began going down the path that I wanted to explore right now is that one, you said you've always kind of been intrigued and more engaged with the behind the scenes and the operational aspects of making the golf engine run. So right now, of course, you're with the LPGA. How long are you with the LPGA? It's three and a half years now. Wow. Time flies. Time flies. Wow. Good time flies, right? So we know that some listeners know a whole lot about the LPGA and what the organization does, but there are a lot of people who don't. Let's start there. Could you share with our listeners some of the initiatives and the things that they might understand or have seen or may have not seen that the LPGA does, particularly in the areas where we're trying to really grow the game and make it more inclusive. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for for mentioning that. And I think it's important for people to know that the LPGA isn't just the tour, right? Where our amazing athletes play week in and week out for money. But we also have a couple of other different pillars or divisions, as we say, with the Epson Tour, which is our feeder system and and what we call the road to the LPGA. We have the LPGA Foundation, which is all about inspiring and transforming the lives of women through the game of golf, where we have our flagship junior golf program, LPGA USGA Girls Golf, which Mm -hmm. teaches the game to the younger generation and really gets them hooked, right, with that fun aspect and really being that girl-friendly atmosphere. Then we also have the recreational side, which is another division that a lot of people don't know about, but the LPGA Amateur Association, which used to be the Executive Women's Golf Association that eventually transitioned into the LPGA a couple of years ago. The organization has close to 15,000 members, and it's for women who just want to find their quote-unquote tribe, whether it's in a competitive space, whether it's in a social space. And then we also have the LPGA Professionals, which is our teaching division, which Dr. Greta is a part of. And those are the women who are making golf their career, whether it's on the teeing ground, whether it is out there running golf courses or owning golf courses. So lots of different divisions within our organization. Right. So there's a place on the continuum for virtually everyone. Yeah. So I think that I always like to advise people of that because a lot of people, as you said, they hear LPJ and they think the ladies that we see on the weekends on TV, which are awesome. Right. But we yeah, know that, <laughs> that we offer so much more and that we're here to help golf in a more comprehensive way, if that's a big way. Yes, yes, definitely. I've been thinking about this because I know you can handle these big questions and I'm thinking like, (laughs) right. And I know that that's really part of your job every day. You're kind of thinking and overseeing as we help move golf each day to a better and better place. But the goal of getting golf into a place where it's composition of participants, if you will, is more reflective of the globe Mm -hmm. is a big one. As I think about it, I go like that is just such a big task, a big ask. And I know that a lot of people, when they hear that, it's just kind of very esoteric. But in your opinion, what are one or two things that every person, every golfer, every member of the golf community could do to begin helping us very intentionally move that needle? That's a great question because I've I've always thought of golf as a game of invitation because when I hear stories of whether it's women or colleagues who've taken up the game, it's always like, oh, my husband played, so I eventually played or my dad played, which is in my case, and eventually we played golf. And interestingly enough, 
I asked my mom a couple of years ago, we were at Top Golf, and I was like, why don't you play golf? And she said, because nobody ever invited me. Yeah. And that was, to me, that was heartbreaking because my mom was an athlete. She was a tennis player, but she let golf be something that my dad and, and my brother and I did separately. I have become a lot more self-aware about being that person that invites others because we do get clicky. You have your foursome that you play with on the weekends, mm-hmm. and that's who you play with. You like it because you all play fast. You know everybody's game and you have a bet that you have going on or you have your little teams, you have your set tea time and everybody's going to go home after or you're going to do lunch or you're going to have drinks. So, exactly. which is great, which is, I love that about golf. Me I love too. the fact, right, that you can have those friendships and create memories. But I think that if we can be more self-aware and intentional, like you said, about inviting someone that perhaps doesn't look like you or inviting someone that you probably might think, hey, this person might not want to go. Let's take that out of my mind. This person might be looking for an invitation right? because they're, they're not going to go out and say it. The invite part, I think, is important. Uh, it's such a powerful statement. And it's so true. One of the things that I've done for years now, particularly because I do teach a lot of new golfers, women coming into the game, I've always been very intentional about welcoming them to the game. So when you come on my lesson team, we're shaking hands or fist pumping or whatever we do, you know, kind of post-COVID, all these things. But one of the things that I always say is that welcome to golf. I'm very specific about that. And oftentimes I'm so surprised at the facial expressions that come. They're like, oh, because I know that it was probably this curvilinear path to get to standing in front of me on the mm-hmm. lesson team. That's oftentimes so common when we ask people how to get into golf. Someone asked them. Yes, usually the case. I picked up a club because my dad picked up clubs. I recall when my mother began playing, it was because now she began. And I remember because some other women asked her, invited her. So it really is. So we know that that is one of the great ways to do it. So it's as simple as asking. And as you noted, kind of coming out of our comfort zone, again, I'm guilty as charged because that regular foursome, we know the order, we know everyone's typical miss. We know all the things, right? And it just makes it flow fast and smooth. But we were all there in the beginning at one point as a newer golfer. And so if we want to change things, we have to be the change that we're seeking. Yes, I agree. And one other thing I'll add, Greta, is the non-green grass spaces, seeing those as golf. One particular thing that is timely to me because it was happening this week, I'm part of the Black Girls Golf Facebook page. And usually people say, I moved to this town. A couple months ago, a young lady had said, oh, I moved to Jacksonville. Is there anybody? And I said, hey, I'm in busy work season, but I'll connect with you in a couple of weeks or months and we'll do something. Mm -hmm. So I messaged her earlier this week. I was like, hey, how about we go to Topgolf first week of October? We'll go in the afternoon. So just trying to simplify it for people Mm -hmm. that work that nine to five during the week. And if you have kids on the weekends and you've got stuff to do, thinking of those non-traditional green grass spaces as golf, mini golf, top golf. There's a really cool place that opened in Jacksonville. That's a simulator, kind of like a five iron type Mm -hmm. It's called golf score taverns. Those Mm -hmm. places that are opening like that, I think will inspire people to, to take up the game. Sure. And I think that's a great point because I was sitting there going like, oh yeah, because I think of it as golf, but not always golf, golf, if you say golf. Is it real golf? Yes. But it is for many people. The traditionalist in us. Traditionalist, right. Thinking green grass, sunshine, all that good stuff. But it is. And so that's a great point. So see, two things. You came up with two things, two great things, right? That's excellent. (laughs) We are now going to take a short break to hear about a company that I really like and support. 
Attention all you fabulous women golfers. We are partnering with our good friends at Kenyona Sport to offer 20% off your purchase of stylish golf apparel using promo code MODGOLF. Save on tops, shorts, pants, skirts, dresses, skorts, jackets, vests, and accessories using the link my.kenonasport.com forward slash modgolf. I included the link in the show notes for this episode to make it nice and easy for you. That's my.kinonasport.com forward slash modgolf to receive 20% off your purchase using promo code modgolf. Happy shopping! And again, here I go with the big questions because I know you can do the heavy lifting. Right now, as we work toward and you spend all your days thinking about these things and putting plans into action about improving inclusivity in the game, what do you think, I've just kind of put a number on it, two, three, whatever you conjure up here. What are the biggest impediments to more rapid diversification of golf? I've been around golf a long time. And this grow the game phrase, we've been hearing it for seemingly decades. Mm -hmm. Why is it so slow? (laughs) (laughs) This is like a loaded question because there's so many things, right? Like if we Mm -hmm. go back to history systemically with PJ of America's Caucasian only clause that was in effect till 1960, that's not even that long ago, right? So Mm -hmm. if you look at that, you really didn't see that many Black, Brown, Hispanic people in the game. You kind of fast forward growing up, people didn't have that representation. I'm a big believer in if you can see it, you can be it, right? If I can see somebody that looks like me, if I have that representation that I can get into the sport or I can see a career in it. Mm -hmm. Just unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So there is no reason. Like, why would I tell somebody, oh, you should take up golf? And they're like, golf? Like, that's for old people. And then you have additional elements, the cost and the time, which is why I I mentioned before, like the non-green grass spaces, right? How can you cut the time? Mm -hmm. How can golf course architects or golf course owners get more creative about maybe your three-hole loops, your six-hole loops, your 12-hole loops, because that cuts the time in half and people are still engaging. They're still golfing. That's a controversial term. I use the word golfing. I mean, (laughs) it's not a word. Yes, it is a word. I could mention so many things. Access to information Mm -hmm. could be another one. Looking at our junior golf programs, there perhaps are families that are missing out on opportunities because maybe they don't live somewhere where there is a golf course so they don't drive by it every week. Or they do drive by it, but it just doesn't seem appealing or something that could invite the community, right? And and that's interesting because we've been talking about municipal golf courses and how they could be sort of that haven, right? 5Ks at a municipal course and a barbecue. And it's like, oh, we're at like a park, but it's a golf course. Yeah, there's so many things we can talk about, but I think that representation and the time for me are those barriers, right? Yeah, I would agree. One of the things that I seek to understand is the, I don't have tons of information, but it appears to me the reticence to make adjustments to make golf more friendly, more approachable, more user-friendly. As you said, those three and six hole loops, I'm on a golf course every single day. It's amazing when I think about it, how much more golf I would play as a golfer if there were three or six hole loops. I could play every day. Yeah. And interestingly enough, when I grew up playing, our golf course is set up in a way where I grew up playing six holes Mm -hmm. because one through six looped in back into the clubhouse. Correct. And then seven, eight and nine looped back in. So growing up, I did have that experience and it was a lot of fun. 
even if you were dropped off at like 530, you can still exactly. get three bowls. Exactly. So, and the staff too, they allowed for it, which is different now. So lots of work to be done, but I think there's people in the space who are advocating for it more and more. And we're seeing, I know there's a build in, in Jacksonville called the Yards and they do, they have 12 holes, they have six holes. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that for so many reasons, for people who are even in the sport, we know, like say we're here, we know that in the United States, you know, as the population ages, 18 holes, for many people, it's just not feasible, interesting, whatever the case may be. Nine can sometimes become a bit difficult to manage for people as they get up in years and mobility or whatever the case may be, becomes a bit constrained. But we also know for the new seven-year-old that's out there ready to swing, that's a bit much, right? So we want to get out and play between the number of holes and the length of holes. That's just a whole other separate conversation because it seems that for a while we were stuck in this window where every course, and I'm saying every, I'm exaggerating a bit, but a preponderance of courses, everybody wanted to be PGA tour length. And that's just not feasible. Again, making the sport a bit less approachable. Well, if I can't hit the ball more than 100 yards, it's going to take me 20 minutes to play this hole. That's not very fun. Move up to the 150. Let's go. <laughs> I, you know, I, all the time. I call them do-it-yourself distances. <laughs> I like forward. it. DIY, yeah, DIY distance, right? Otherwise, you're going to be kind of in this state of anxiousness and rushing the whole time. New golfer trying to keep up with the longer hitters and that type of thing. When I think about golf, I'm always thinking about how can we make this fun and more inclusive and flexible for everyone involved. And so that's some great points there. So where do you see golf we're going to just pick a number here. Maybe if we said in the next five years, I know it's very difficult and challenging to put metrics around anything in terms of progress and improvement, but if you had to pick some areas of emphasis where you really can see, and of course you have privy to many more things than most of us are within the industry and the organizations, what do you think we can feel hopeful about looking forward to in terms of golf being in an even better place? Pick a number, three years, five years. Yeah, I mean, in the short term, one of the programs that I've been really excited about has been the grassroots grant program, you know, within the Make Off Your Thing work group, because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of organizations who have been doing the work for years that have been out there doing the grassroots thing, growing the game. Yes. But they just didn't have the resources to move forward, right? Meaning, Money, people, which mm -hmm. people usually comes with money because sure. you can hire and you can impact a greater number of individuals. So I think with the money, the industry is pouring into these grassroots programs, we will see a difference, you know, in terms of more youth engaging in the game, perhaps more courses thinking about remodeling or redoing the way they do things. So that's one thing that I say that is positive. I'm always, I've been a firm believer of letting people do what they do and getting out of the way. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes this is just my observation, right? Can't really speak for anybody else. But at times you get into like, well, if I give you this, you need to give me this. Well, what if we just tried, hey, I know you need the support. We're going to partner. We're going to give you funding for whatever, three or four years. And then we'll see how you do. And then we'll reevaluate and let people do the work that they set out to do. Because sometimes mm -hmm. it's like you put that additional burden sure. on the organization that's already small, right? That's already to move their people forward. From an equity standpoint, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the women's game and the LPGA and how we're seeing with this year record amount increase in purses. And that's really exciting. There's a big gap 
we need to make headway to close it in terms of how much the LPGA Tour players earn versus the PGA Tour pros. And I know there's a lot of enthusiasm there. We have amazing athletes that people are going to watch. People are attending our tournaments. People are watching us on TV. Just that enthusiasm around increasing the purses is exciting. Yes, I've been super excited for the players. We know that they're swinging and playing and doing all the things that the gentlemen are doing. We just haven't been recognized in that regard. So it's exciting to see. And of course, I do believe that when you see there's more of a heightened visibility and potential for those greater rewards are there. I do believe that you begin to attract a greater diversity of athletes yes. into the game. And that's exciting because we know that there are some phenomenal athletes out there. And I'm always going like, what if he or she picked up a golf club? What would that look like? So I'm hopeful and excited that we'll begin seeing more of that. Clubs are getting into the hands of more and more people of all backgrounds Yes, there was recently, I think I saw in the LET, I think it was last week, maybe on the Ladies European Tour, it was the first Middle Eastern winner we've had. So it's just like you said, it's, it's more and more global. We're seeing that representation. Aditi, who is on tour, she's mm-hmm. from India. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure she's inspiring young girls in India, right? Yes, so it's just absolutely. really, really cool to see that. Yes. You know, I have a background in tennis and I feel like golf right now is kind of where tennis was a few years ago. But we've just seen, of course, with Serena Williams recently retiring, we can or excuse me, evolving. That was her word. Evolving, not retiring. Evolving. (laughs) Yes. But as someone who's been very closely entwined in in the world of tennis for most of my life, I still pay close attention to it. But I remember when tennis became very intentional about this. And it was right about the time, I guess, mid-90s or late 90s, maybe. I can't recall. But all of the young women that you see playing on the tour now, the great diversity, I believe the top 10 in tennis is the rainbow, right? Which is a beautiful thing. And you hear all of those young women talk about now how they were inspired by the Williams sisters, but also with the NJTL, with the National Junior Tennis League and all that stuff. Tennis became very intentional about if we want this thing to look different, we have to create the opportunities for it to look different. And so I see that going on in golf. And so that hardens me because I watched it firsthand work and I'm excited about all that's to come for us. And I'm hopeful. I know that there's still some some challenges ahead, but that's why we have experts like you. We're going <laughs> to knock those out of there and get things moving in the right direction. So let me ask you this. There are still, we know with all the things that are going on, the good stuff, there are still people for various reasons who are out there and they've been maybe thinking about dipping a toe in the golf, but they just haven't for various reasons. What's one piece of advice that you would give them, whether that's from a perspective as a lifelong golfer or in the seat that you're in as a leader in the industry? What would that piece of advice be? I'm always going to tell people to go for it. You can start any way you want, right? You can start in in the non-green grass facility. That's fine. But I've always been a proponent or a fan of of finding a coach, right? Because I think that's important. So perhaps if you do go to a driving range or a couple of times, you know, and and get a set of clubs, wherever, Walmart, Costco, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. But do some research in your area. See what golf professionals are there that perhaps you could enlist in a series of lessons. I I just think it's so important because a lot of people take up the game, but then get frustrated because you don't see improvements, right? Right. When you start playing golf, 
you want to get better. You get hooked yeah. and you just want to improve. So if you find that person and, you know, at the LPGA, we definitely have the resources. But if you find that person, and it could be a family thing, right? Like I know many people who bring their kids with them and they do family group lessons. There's different options. But yeah, I would definitely say go for it. And if available, find a coach. <laughs> if available, find a coach, right? And so there's so many opportunities to do that. But I think that's my number one piece of advice as well. And of course, it's always kind of loaded coming from a coach, right? But it's true. If you want to get better, especially simply, and I always say simply put golf is fun, period, but it's even mm-hmm. more fun when you know how to make the ball fly. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it is. It's a great time being out there, but it's just awesome when you can navigate those corners and, and do those things and keep forward progress as we like to call it right in our sport. So thank you so much for being here. This time has gone on so quickly. I could pick your brain for a long time, but I know that your time is valuable and I so appreciate you being here. But the good news is, is that our listeners are going to also be able to see your smiling face on YouTube. We're going to ask you a couple of different, if you will, bonus questions that we're going to talk about on there. So if you're listening, do not forget to go to the Mod Golf YouTube channel to learn a little bit more, hear a little bit more from our wonderful guest, Laura Diaz. And I'm excited to keep talking a little bit. Yes, this is awesome. Thanks for the time. So that's a wrap for our final episode of Season 12 on the Mod Golf Podcast. Big thanks again to my good friend, Dr. Greta Anderson, for hosting this episode with Laura Diaz. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter on our homepage at mod.golf to hear about upcoming episodes, special offers, and to enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm now going to step away from the mic for a month to work on your next batch of Season 13 episodes. In the meantime, we'll be launching our Mod Golf Pro Shop, which we referred to as the Mod Golf Marketplace earlier in the show. The Mod Golf Pro Shop features curated golf brand products that I use and support, giving you exclusive discounts that you won't find anywhere else. Check out the episode show page details and use promo code MODGOLF to save on golf apparel, accessories, balls, training programs, and wearable tech. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Golf Genius Software, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye for now. <laughs>